Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout. Spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling, sustainable career. So, if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals. Welcome everyone to today's um, Wednesday education session at the renal team at Alfred Hill. So today's a very special um, little session. We're actually recording a podcast today. Um, so it's just so great that you could all be here and we're hoping that we can open a dialogue and discussion. And I think obviously we've, we've brought Joe here today to talk about burnout. And I think when the topic of burnout comes up, we can be at risk of shying away from it. I think it's been a hot topic, but also feels maybe a little bit overdone. It's loaded with connotations. And I guess people might want to avoid talking about burnout for various reasons. And I think a lot of the institutions have been kind of um, throwing the word around as well. And we're not really sure of the solutions. So I guess I just wanted to preface it with that. I understand that this can be a polarizing and controversial issue, but I think the goal today is just to have a really open and honest discussion about burnout and really explore the ideas with our expert, Dr. Joe Bray. So thank you so much for being here, Joe. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about what you do and your background? Oh, thanks so much, Christine, and great to be here on your um, weekly education session. Um, so, yeah, I hail from the UK as well, grew up in Cambridge, went through Nottingham as my medical school, loved growing up in the UK, but didn't love working in the national health system quite as much. So I moved to Australia in my PGY2 and cho chose rehab as my specialty. Um that was that was great. I had my first experience with performance coaching in preparation for my specialty exams. So not necessarily a common thing back in 2007, but it was really effective. It was really useful in getting into the mindset or showing up as a consultant in my specialty exams, which went really well. Um, I worked in Sydney for a while. I traveled back home to Cambridge to do a fellowship, then followed my husband to Edinburgh, where he did his orthopedic um, fellowship, and we moved with our young family to Orange in 2014. So um, I have been working also with the Midwestern Brain Injury Rehabilitation Team since 2015. That's a very part-time job, but um, a really great clinical role. Um, I find that very satisfying and um, have stayed in there for the past eight years and see that continuing. I set up my own private practice um, locally and had a health coach who supported some of my patients. And really during the pandemic, I got burnt out. But I really didn't realize it at the time. Um, I had started engaging with group coaching through a doctor who is also a coach overseas in the U.S., and it took me probably about six or eight months before I really knew myself better to know what options I really had at that point. Um, I made an exit plan for my private practice. I've stayed in public health. I trained as a professional coach and I opened my coaching business in October 2021. 
Um, I have got three beautiful sons and I love playing social tennis. And those things are important as well when we're talking about who we are, I guess. So that's sort of my, um, yeah, short version. And um, I, I niche down into burnout recovery coaching. So coaching can obviously be wide. I've trained as a life coach um, and I did an additional training as a burnout recovery coach. Um, why? Because I had a lived experience and that not only for me, but also the research, it's evidence-based that group coach group coaching or coaching also individually is an evidence-based solution for this condition or this situation or syndrome that we can identify, but we don't have so many strategies that work. And that might be exactly what you're talking about in the workplace. And my line is yoga and a bowl of fruit ain't going to cut it. <laughs> Yeah. And then you were saying that. So I think that's fascinating. So just to clarify, so you're a rehab specialist who then is now a coach of doctors specializing in burnout. And I think that's so fitting. I remember when I first realized you were a rehab doctor, it made so much sense that that those that skill set could be transferred. So I think that's a really unique thing about your background. So thank you for that. Now, Thanks. I'm keen to ask you a few burning questions, but before we do that, for those of you who are listening, and I'm just, I'm so surprised there's not more people here. They're all burnt out and hiding from me. Told ya. <laughs> um, but I want um, the audience who are here um, to pop in this QR code and take the quiz to find out how burnt out you are. So I did this this morning to check the link was working and I was deemed to be high risk of burnout, which perhaps is not a surprise to anyone, including me. But um, I thought it was fascinating. It takes only a few seconds to do. So go ahead. I'll give you just a few seconds to QR code that for yourselves. And then, yeah, we can always come back to that at the end as well. So, Joe, I'm actually really interested in burnout as a concept because I feel like, um, you know, there's various times in my career when I've been, I've been burnt out as well, but I've also just been really tired and needing a bit of a rest. And I wondered, um, how do you know you're burnt out and not just tired? Like, what's the difference? Yeah. Sure. It's such a great question. Um, and yeah, can relate to that, that the, the fatigue, the exhaustion, um, gets overwhelming. It's hard to pick yourself up and go into the workplace. Um, the pace of work that we've got, I think, it can be really rapid, the number of patients we're meant to see in a clinic and so forth. Uh, the hours of work that we might need to be doing, how are those admin hours adding on to your clinical work as well? Um, how's the shortage of staff? That is definitely a prevalent um, issue Australia-wide. Um, and are you maybe studying for exams on top of working full-time, which is is uh, what our trainees are doing as well, what you and I have done, um, Christine, as well. I'm sure that you do your exams on top of um, showing up in the workplace, plus maybe having a family as well and, and trying to do that juggle too. But the difference in being tired and being burnt out is some of the additional sort of diagnostic criteria that I guess we have for burnout. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, definition of burnout is defined as a chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. So it's really tying in with uh, what's going on in the workplace. Other people talk about it as um, like 
death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, we're not talking about death here, but sort of those micro traumas that you might experience on the regular that don't seem like much in the moment, but when they're so cumulative and there are so many, and maybe um, the individual doesn't yet have tools to discharge that stress, mm -hmm, then it's it's sort of cumulative and builds up. So the three main features that we have to um, identify burnout in someone, firstly, is emotional exhaustion. That is definitely the most common feature in healthcare providers. Um, others are this combination of either cynicism, depersonalization, or indifference to your workplace. So that is one symptom just described in a few different ways. And thirdly, decreased personal productivity. So these People who get burnt out are often high achievers, type A personalities, perfectionists strive for um, not only excellence, but the very high standards that they set for themselves. And there are two other uh, factors that I also add in through the work done pro by Professor Gordon Parker at the University of Sydney. Um, he talks about cognitive dysfunction. So it's a bit like our prefrontal cortexes going a bit offline, we're not able to focus so well, we're distracted more, short-term memory issues, people might describe a brain fog. And then finally, insularity. So this is when we start to pull back from the connections we've had at work, from the maybe dynamic team player that we've been. You notice that somebody's going somewhat quieter than they used to um, in the team. And that can also um, impact on relationships outside of work as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's sort of the diagnostic criteria. And I guess I'm, I'm conscious of whether there's any scope for uh, intervention before we get to that, because that feels like the, the end of the road, doesn't it? Is there any sort of difference between, you're saying that it's a cumulative um, small stresses building up, but is there a place where we have scope for intervention, the tipping point per se, or do you kind of not know you're going to have it until you get there? Great question. I mean, if you think about your day-to-day -day or maybe your five last five years in the workplace, um, like how actively have you either been invited to monitor your well-being or how you're going in yourself, or have you chosen to do it um, individually? So I think the question there is like, do we normally like check in and see how we're going and see how um, we would rate ourselves even on a like one to five or one to 10 scale? How is your exhaustion at the moment? How productive do you think you are? Um, how engaged in the workplace do you think you are? And if we're not measuring something, then it's hard to notice the change and notice the difference. Last week, I was at um, the ICC in Sydney for a fantastic one-day workshop called um, the Organisational Response to Workplace Wellbeing. And so we had a lot of um, like executive leads in the room, as well as coaches and um, other people sort of involved and curious about workplace wellbeing. And um, we had a lead from the Mayo Clinic in Stanford, Dr. Tate Shanafelt who has developed the Wellbeing Index, which is a great tool. I'm not sure if it's available in your hospital or not. Um, it's a great tool that can be used to monitor well-being like quarterly or, or even more often. And um, they put it to some surgeons at one point and the surgeons verbally, subjectively were like, we are fine. There is no need to measure this in us. 
And then when they're like, hey, actually, do you want to just fill out the form? Because similar to my burnout questionnaire, you don't know what your summary is going to be until you've got to the end and the calculation has been done. And the surgeons realized, oh, yeah, there is actually something going on. And with that awareness and with that, um, uh, yeah, just understanding of what their score is, they then moved into sort of a pre-contemplation phase to a contemplation phase to then, okay, what am I going to do about this? And then how can I actively maintain myself staying well for the long term? So I think... I think that answers that sort of question that if we're not measuring or monitoring, then how do we know if we're drifting into that insidious fall into burnout? Yeah. And that brings me to my next point was, do we have insight, which I think you've sort of touched on there, because I certainly, when I was filling in your quiz this morning, <laughs> I was thinking I was, that was okay. As far as things go, I thought it was all right. So, And I do feel like I'm someone who does check in with myself. I do so much self-development, I can't even. And so I, I thought I was kind of aware um, of myself, but your quiz definitely opened my eyes. And I wonder what how I would do or how we would do on the wellbeing index. It would be absolutely fascinating. Um, and I guess, I guess just to sort of um, dive into that a bit further, though, in terms of maybe what you're saying is that that group of surgeons maybe didn't have insight and maybe none of us really have insight until it gets to quite an advanced stage. Mm. But maybe it's more apparent to people around us. You know, do you think there's a scope for monitoring each other? Mm, Yeah, I I think that's a great point that others around you may well notice it in you sooner than you do. You might be flipping your lid or having emotional outbursts (laughs) that you didn't used to have before. You might just be slower to get started on tasks than you used to. Um, It might take you longer to do tasks than it used to. You might have been a more efficient kind of person and now it's just taking that bit longer to get through things. Um, I don't know whether colleagues would know if you were then looking to use various different substances or devices or Mm. online resources to escape the discomfort and escape Mm. those feelings that you're having um i think it would be a it would be a subjective observation of what's going on with your colleague which you know could be helpful as well and with my research head on um, i look for more objective measures and there are a range of in addition to the one that I've shared, different um, burnout assessment tools that we can use as well. And from personal experience, I definitely want to say that my insight was not there. I didn't realize this was going on at all. I had no idea what the three main factors of burnout were when that was going on for me. And how did you eventually, so I I can see one of our um, colleagues has a hand up, but how did you then discover you were burnt out then? How did you eventually arrive at that discovery before this became your niche and before you became an expert? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, well, I don't think it was, I don't think it was before I became an expert in the area, actually, to be honest. Yeah, when I was yeah. like, I, I mean, I, I felt, I felt a lot better from the decisions that I ended up making, but it wasn't, it wasn't like I had the coach diagnosing burnout in me. I never did an online tool to, find it out in myself. Um, I think I was probably learning more from other coaches that might have been in that area too and working with some other people in Australia and seeing what are the some of the more common things that affect our clinicians, our healthcare workforce as well. And 
um, yeah, I just sort of learned it over time. I mean, it's not a medical diagnosis. We don't get it in our medical training anywhere, do we, so far? No, absolutely. And and I think it's ironic, isn't it? Because like like you said, a lot of type A personalities, a lot of high achievers are sitting ducks for this experience. It feels inevitable in some way. Um, yes. So I'll just, I'll pause there just for a wee second because Kath's got her oh. hand up. So Kath's one of our nurse unit managers over at Sandringham Dialysis Centre. Kath, did you want to unmute? Thank you. Um, sorry, I'm not familiar with you, but I'm, I'm getting there. Thank you. Um, this is um, uh, an area that I'm very, very interested in. And I just wanted to say, just in, in touch with your last point about, you know, monitoring one another and how we go. Um, I suppose as a manager, I like to think I am monitoring my staff for kind mm-hmm. of things like that. However, I think sometimes your manager is not always the best person to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it tends to add into the performance side more than the looking after side. Mm-hmm. So I just, um, I think it's something I would be very kind of keen to investigate around having a kind of mentorship something, um, yeah, within the renal team or, you know, wherever, just around that. Yes, I think as managers, it is our responsibility to monitor people without a doubt. And as a manager, I do think how often should I be doing that? What does that look like, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that probably it would be really good if we could have something else that didn't involve, you know, kind of one grade in another grade, you know, if it was something a little bit more um, even across the board. Mm. Yeah, great point, Cass. I mean, I think I would, I would um, speak to whoever it might be in your um, exec, whether it's people and culture or HR, because there were people from Australia and New Zealand last week, and the wellbeing index has been fairly extensively rolled out. I think in New South Wales health, not everywhere, not quite here. Um, but that might be, that's something that then your team can do independently. It's an app on your phone. They will get like automated reminders. Hey, it's been two, three months since you've done the wellbeing index. Do you want to check in again and see how you're going? Um, and I don't quite know the behind the scenes of it, but I do wonder if there could be a feed up to you, Kath, as well. And um it, it could be like a supportive resource of, oh, okay, I need to spend a bit more time or p- pay some attention to this person, not around their performance necessarily, but really around how they are staying well um, in the workplace. And I heard recently just regarding the wellbeing index, I know that Cheryl Martin had, I think, that chat on her podcast and they were talking about how they use it on an institutional level and it's anonymized. So it's also that kind of um, divide between how we identify individuals and the systems in place, which we're going to talk about systems just shortly. But I think it is an interesting point that you made, Kath, about as a manager, you're kind of more geared towards the performance, which might be, um, Mm. you know, the, yeah, not the end effect of burnout, but actually right. looking yeah. after the burnout and getting yeah. to the bottom of that. It's like we need another thing, like Joe, for That's example. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. why are you here, Joe? I, it, I do think it's kind of my responsibility to check in. Mm. I really am not quite sure how much I expect staff to open up to me. <laughs> You know, I just don't think that that's perhaps the right environment. I'd like to know so that I can help practically, Mm -hmm. but I just don't think, yeah, I think that's a really, I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm just thinking that that's not probably the right environment, I think, um, Mm -hmm. for for that to happen. 
It's such a good point. Um, and it does sort of bring us to the next thing, which is a, oh, a polarizing hot topic, I think, is the system versus the individual. So I guess the reason that I think this is polarizing is because I don't think this is simple at all. And I can resonate with a system being an issue. And I've definitely had burnout where the system was contributing to my own personal burnout in addition to my personality and perfectionistic tendencies. But I've also had burnout where it's just me wanting to have high ambition and achieve things. And it's all self-inflicting and it's nothing to do with the system. So I don't personally think this is one or the other. And I think there is a, a blend and that's my own personal opinion. So I was curious to ask you, Joe, what do you think are the main is the main problem is it systems is it individuals from your perspective what you see in your practice yeah great point great point i i agree with you it's not just one or the other it can't be just the system because then in i think you would expect up to 100 percent of burn, burnt out individuals if the system was uh, such a strong contributor we we don't see 100 percent um burnout rates in studies that are done um, internationally. So I think it is that combination of the individual and their personality style and their um, approach to their work plus um, contributions from the system. So I've, I've, I'm going to answer this in two different sections. So what and how might their um, system contribute and then their individual as well? And what might be the consequences that you see at a system level and, and an individual level? So in the system, you know, a lack of autonomy over your work, uh, a lack of recognition um, in the workplace, increased clinical demands, isolation. So we can be so busy seeing so many patients. Um, we might be in our clinic room and we're actually ending up being quite isolated from our team. Um, they've certainly found the insidious erosion of time together is a risk factor for developing burnout. Increased regulatory issues, um, decreased time with patients actually overall, so that staff shortages and sort of pressure on how long you've got with each patient. If there's any role ambiguity, and that might be in different parts of your team that you've got here today, certainly if there's unprofessional behaviour of other team members, that can be a risk factor. Uh, looking at the inefficiency and the intrusion of the beloved electronic medical record, um, yeah, so that's sort of a whole range of different things that are attributed to the system. What are the consequences that you might see at the system level? Well, increased turnover. So I don't know how stable your, your team is. And I think, Kath, this might be something that you also would be actively monitoring and sort of going, okay, um, can I can I connect with people before they're thinking of moving on or going somewhere else? Because often um often people will see quitting as the answer to yeah. to dealing with burnout. Absolutely. How's their quality of care? We can see, so this is system level changes or consequences, decreased quality of care, increased medical errors, um, decreased patient satisfaction. So imagine a patient having treatment advice recommendations from a burnt out clinician um, they are less likely to take us up on the advice we give they can see that we're somewhat checked out when we're providing those recommendations um, so we've got the maslac burnout inventory it's another scoring tool the departure risk 
it's double of that of someone who doesn't have a high score on the Maslach burnout inventory than somebody who does have a high score. So even just doing that test is predictive almost of whether you might be losing that team member or not. Let's look at the individual um, parts too. So um, certainly some clinicians can have an exaggerated sense of responsibility. They might um, doubt themselves whether they've done as good a job as they could have done. They may have feelings of guilt in the workplace as well. I see all of those three really commonly in clients, and that's quite an old um, triad called the triad of compulsiveness from the 80s. What's the personality type of the person here? Are they type A? Are they very perfectionist? Have they got a slightly pessimistic view on their outlook of life? What's their thinking like? Is it all or nothing? Um, do they have difficulty relaxing? And how are they going for sort of social supports outside of work and other factors like sleep and how they're like looking after themselves outside of work? Um, and then the consequences for the individual are increased risk of divorce, increased risk of prescription substance use, depression risk. Um, yeah, as well as, I mean, some of those other ones, which I've also talked about for the workplace. But yeah, um, that's just some of the risks for the um, individual as well. Mm, that's great. It's actually interesting. I love having these conversations because you've actually broadened my own. I was thinking, oh, it's not really the system, it's me. And then when you started to talk about reduced time with patients and that kind of thing, I was like, oh, that's resonating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The problem is real, Joe. The problem is real. It's and so definitely broadened my um, perspective. That's a really interesting point. Um, and I guess just to sort of um, focus back in on the individual, because you did mention a lot of the sort of personality types, um, but I would say that a lot of people who are in healthcare would fall into a particular personality type or a particular why, you know, they've chosen to go into healthcare for a sort of a bigger why than themselves, usually. And so I guess, do you think that in healthcare, although 100% of people are not burnt out at any one time, like you said, is it inevitable? Or is there like some unicorn person who never gets burnt out? <laughs> and what should we learn from them? Yeah, um, I don't think it's inevitable. I challenge that. I don't. I don't think everybody is going to get burnt out. I think there are these different personality types. As one example of people who can, who maybe still have passion and drive and derive meaning and professional fulfillment and satisfaction from being in the workplace. Yet, maybe they have different coping strategies. They are really clear on their priorities and they really um, value whatever other top five priorities there might be um, in their list there. Um, they may, yeah, including social connections that might just be so strong for them that it is a regular thing at the weekend, whether it's through sport or some other hobby or some intentional social time that they they have a different way of coping with similar stresses that we all uh, may feel in the workplace. So, yeah, I don't think it is inevitable. That's reassuring, isn't it? And I just <laughs> if we could tap into that and and sort of yeah, I feel like there's something to be tapped into there that we could all apply into yeah. ourselves and that sounds really encouraging to me um, yes. and I guess that brings us to we've talked about 
how we know we're burnt out and there's some lots of helpful skills that you've mentioned and we've talked about the system versus the individual but then i guess if we are burnt out or if a colleague is burnt out what's the answer to burnout um from your perspective as someone who works in this area yeah great question okay i mean the first overarching message i would love to share with you and your audience is to talk about it I think it is the elephant in the room sometimes and um, decreasing the stigma either around talking about it or starting to ask for help and say, hey, look, I think this is going on. There's a lot of stigma still in healthcare around um, saying I need help or saying something's not right. And I think we're almost halfway there if we've already started to reach out and connect with somebody, whoever that trusted individual is to start um, asking for help. Then secondly, um, I'm going to do that combination with the organizational level and the individual level as well. This is also um, fresh information from what I learned last week in um, the workshop that I attended. So they're suggesting that 80% of the input or the change or the focus area is at the organization and 20% at the individual. So I certainly don't concur with any sort of you know, guilt tripping the individual, finger pointing, anything like that. I think it's a real combination of probably more so in the workplace and somewhat of the individual. So we need to uh, really think about supporting the middle manage middle management or the unit level managers um, because the leadership style, they've surveyed different units and they find the leadership style in a unit impacts the risk of burnout in a team over the next two years. If it's strong leadership, if it's better leadership, there's going to be less likely to have burnout in your team over the next two years. And different units need specific strategies. So they did not go through all the 40 different uh, units that we might have or whatever in a hospital setup, but like Neurosurgeons need a different strategy to GPs, need a different strategy to community allied health. And I think that seems reasonable. We've got different workloads, work stresses, um, I guess, immediacy of responding to patient need and so forth. So I think, so there's that sort of individual uh, approach to the unit, relative, relevant to the unit. Um, we've talked about this already before, but by starting to measure what the current level of either burnout or well-being is um, at any one point, then we have some more uh, awareness that we're inviting our team to grow around this topic. It's getting talked about more often, um, and people might be more curious about some of the solutions we can offer them. Um, they certainly looking for drivers of professional fulfillment. So what makes you feel more fulfilled in, fulfilled in the role that you have? Cultivating community at work. There is so much research on this. They did a study on um, physicians in the US and they said, right, you've either got time to connect with other physicians, talk about physicianhood, don't have a gripe. It's about discussing what's relatable um, in, in work or you've got extra admin time in your working hours so you can get away on time. RCT, randomized control trial, had a look at both of those groups and the physicians that had the connection time had um, a greater propensity to recover from burnout than those with the extra admin time. So community at work, how can that be a part of your weekly connection time or, or time as a unit? 
And then um, I think this can be across both either organizational or individual group coaching. So we've ha had plenty of RCTs around group coaching as well. So this could be like this kind of setup, um, virtual um, coaching one or two times a week, giving strategies, watching other people being coached, having time to, to be coached around what um, you're bringing to the session. The markers showed that there was reduced emotional exhaustion, reduced uh, imposter syndrome, which we see a lot in people um, in burnout as well, and improved work efficiency, which is clearly what the organization is also interested in. Um, mm. At the individual level, things that I certainly talk about, if that's helpful, Christine. So these are also evidence-based, and I talk about these a lot when I'm doing presentations too. What is a meaningful workplace task for you? I'd love to even know from the audience who's on today. When you're at work, what do you? what is something that you do and you go, oh, yeah, I feel really satisfied or fulfilled or that gives me meaning doing that. If anybody wants to put it in the chat or put up your hand and let us know, um, that would be great. We've got evidence that when 20% or more of your week consists of meaningful tasks specific to you, then you're less likely to get burnt out than, than having less than 20% of meaningful tasks. Um, mm -hmm. Other evidence-based strategies are mindfulness meditation. So um, as, as you wish, there's so many different ways to approach that, whether it's a walk or whether it's um, sitting down, doing some breathing exercises. Exercise, exercise has certainly got, uh, or movement has got evidence behind it as well. I see that as a great way to discharge your stress from your body. Like um, lots builds up in the day, in the clinical day that we have. How can you make... Um, make your cortisol be discharged and feel better uh, physiologically almost at the end of a day. And then I've mentioned coaching as well before, and that is um, on an individual basis, also evidence-based. Yeah, that's wonderful. Because I guess what you're saying and what I love about what you're saying is it's not tokenistic. And I, I say that not to be inflammatory, but I feel like up to this point, and maybe it's going to change because you're giving me a lot of hope that it's going to change, <laughs> is that there's things that institutions come up with and it feels a little bit tokenistic and whether that's deliberate or not but you're coming up you're coming to us saying that there's this evidence-based strategies that people are actually using in organizational structures that's what you're yeah. saying so that sounds exciting to me yeah, yeah. oh um, for sure yeah, absolutely. And can I just um, drill down into something you said about connection? Because I think that's something that we can relate to certainly here as a team where a lot of our connecting is on these, you know, Teams meetings and online. And I know we're trying to get more of us back together, but everything's become a bit hybrid <laughs> where there's always the option to, to zoom in or go onto Teams. When they yeah. were talking about connection as a protective factor within the team, was that mainly face-to-face -face in a room together connection or could something like this just coming together even online, would that be good enough? Yeah. Great question. I think it was actually research done pre-hybrid workdays, if you know what I mean. So it was maybe 2019, maybe published, published in 2020. So they did version one, which was sort of on the ward, and version two was... Um, five or seven positions catching up for dinner. So it was out of hours connection and they were given $20. So they obviously had funding for this. And I don't know, don't know where they get 
dinner, or maybe they had a credit for dinner, $20, no alcohol included in that. <laughs> Go and have a connection. So have a, a like round the table, have a dinner together. Um, I don't know if it was as often as weekly, but um, yeah, that was their second trial that they did. And so it was maybe outside of the workplace, but intentional time to catch up, time to maybe it's sometimes good to be out of the workplace and catching up on separate turf or soil. Yeah, I can see how there would be a real magic to that that would glue us together in our working day. That's really that's really exciting. Um, and just in terms of some of the, I guess, strategies, you did mention the, the ones for organisational and individual. Hmm. Something that I wonder about is... Are there any strategies or differences between, for example, genders? Because um, just anecdotally, I feel like they could be different. That the either that maybe not that the burnout is different, but that the uh, safety to express yourself may be different, and yeah. the strategies that might resonate with one or the other. Um, could you speak to that? Like, is it one size fits all or are there different groups where we should have different approaches? Yeah, great question. So there there are differences in the rates of burnout in genders. So it's more common in women and it's also more common in, in younger people, as uh, studies have shown. Um, and it can be more common in um, in sort of I guess non non Caucasian or people um, of of a different um, or origin. To this is American studies that they have uh, mentioned that as well. Um, is there a different approach with a different level of training? Um, I've had, I mean, I've had an intern from Seattle come and have a coaching program with me. And so I would say, yes, she did have different challenges at that level than, say, a consultant gynecologist in, in Brisbane or something like that, who I've um, worked with as well. Um, so she you know, she was looking for more workplace efficiency in how she was managing her clinical load. And and self-doubt, I would say, was cropping up a lot in what we worked on for her. She was just still trying to find her feet and trying to get her confidence and trying to get on her chosen training scheme, which is very competitive and it happens a lot earlier in America than it does here. Um, and then, you know, other people at different levels might be working on dealing with other people's opinions. So sort of ruminating on what somebody else said and and processing that and and not letting that occupy you or ruin your weekend. Um, so there can be, you know, sort of that interpersonal conflict that can feel like one of those micro traumas that is triggering and you go back into the workplace and you think that's still going to happen. How can we work on that trigger for, you know, overall how you're feeling and and your keenness for work. So I would say there's definitely not one size fits all. I would say there's sort of prevention strategies that might be a bit more global approaches that I would recommend for somebody. Um, but I I would provide a very tailored solution to the individual based on what is really going on for them in, in the work that I do. Mm, which is where coaching comes in, which we'll come on to in a second. But just, just when you said that about ruminating on conflict, I mean, yeah. that is something I feel like we we should we could have you back for an interview just on that. <laughs> that would be a game changer for life in general across the board. Um, that's um, that can really 
hit the replay button in your head, can't it? Those things like that's yeah, I can see why that. You know, we do so much training, and and I do wonder where's the training on our mindset, on our like, um, how do we how do we survive in in the workplace as well? How do we keep um, keep our confidence in ourselves? You know, deal with that self doubt that crops up because we're amazing at all the practical, logistical, logical things that we need to do, but sometimes that emotional part we don't necessarily have so much training in. So. Yeah, we'd love to Absolutely. see that. And I guess with those things, as you know, everyone is a bit frazzled, a bit burnt out. That's not to be, it's just, it's a, you know, um, people can have a bad day and that you're sort of, it doesn't necessarily mean anything personal. And I think that's, that's right. There, there is a way to sort of maybe get coached on it to be able to let go of those things that, that we're not taught. And it, it would be yes. such an important life skill. So I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I guess it brings me to what you do, Joe, and what you have available, because like I say, I think a lot of the time we talk about burnout and what's a problem and all of this, and then it's a dead end. Like <laughs> We don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to go. And you've given us so many um, actionable steps. But I wondered, what are you actually doing in this space at the moment? So I'll, I'll start with the free stuff and move towards the other stuff that's available. So I have a podcast, which I am releasing, I think, uh, episode 47 today. So we're cracking over to the one year, one year anniversary next month, which is really exciting. This is my global free resource for anybody who wants to know some of the strategies that I would offer in a coaching session um, for individuals. And I bring in experts generally medics, not always medics, who may have had their own uh, episode of burnout and share some of their strategies and um, also self-care tips that definitely keep them well. So that's one resource that I've got. I've got an online self-paced program, which um, I think if you're at the rock bottom of burnout, that could be trickier to get going with. A podcast listen on the way to and fro work might be less of a mountain to get over. But if you're looking for also um, resources and basically coaching questions that I would ask you in a um, in a coaching engagement, that's all there in the um, Complete Burnout Recovery Program. That's through my website. Then um, thirdly, I now have a group program called the Empowered Lab, and we meet once a week. And it's meant it's my intention is it's a space of connection, um, community and um, also I do a, a short teaching and then we have about half an hour of group coaching so we know the evidence is there I, I have had so many requests for one-on-one -on -one coaching that I now have opened groups so that we've got a bit more space and that's um, just a monthly fee with that one and then sort of my VIP option is one-on-one -on -one coaching with me and that's a 45 minute session every week. And I sell those in packages of 12. And I find my clients emerge from burnout within session three, four, or five. So it doesn't take that long, and significant changes are happening for them. That's wonderful. And just what beautiful work you do, Joe. Thank you so much for all you do. And there is this QR code if you do want um, to go and check out any of what Joe just mentioned. Um, and I'll also, now that more of you are here, and just a tech, I'll take you back to the QR code so you can take the quiz. <laughs> um, but whilst we do that, I've just noticed we've started to get a little bit on the chat box. And I did want to, Joe definitely needs to be out of here by one, but we have 12 minutes if anyone does have questions or comments. And I can see that um, Ray has mentioned in the chat box. Ray, did you want to unmute or did you want me to? 
read out what you've said for the group. Did you want to contribute today? <laughs> it remains quiet, but there's a call for less stigmatization um, and empathy and support at an organizational level. Uh, and that comes from a lived experience as well. Um, and yeah, and I think that's such a great point because there's nothing physical to look at. There can be a kind of a silent suffering to this. Um, and I think that comes back to what you said before, Joe, about being able to talk about it openly and to remove the stigma um, and, and to really just have those conversations in a very non-judgmental fashion. Um, but cool. On top of that, having somewhere to go. Does anyone else have any questions or comments for Joe? It's, it's so rare that we get a a burnout specialist in our midst. <laughs> and I think I, I I can answer to your question, Ray, as well. There, but thanks, Christine, for what you said too. I think if people are not familiar with what coaching is in this space, because I think our lucky execs or maybe unlucky, our lucky execs at the top end of the hospital, they are more likely to have coaching included maybe with their role. But for those of you that maybe haven't um, had an opportunity to have like coaching different to personal training or different to your soccer coach or so forth, it is this so instead of being a medic giving advice as a coach, I leave my judgment at the door, my opinions stay at the door, and so does my advice. So it's seeing the like highest potential in the client and seeing that the wisdom is within them. It's not me imparting wisdom, it's encouraging them to, to realize their own wisdom and what they want to do next. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to sort of share that it is a very safe, uh, reflective space where I certainly don't see that there are right or wrong answers. And I, with your second sentence there as well, Ray, you know, similar to some of my traumatic brain injury, uh, patients who might not have um, an overt scar, like that people might see day to day. Um, yeah, they, yeah, I, there's there's some kind of parallel there as well with the invisible injury or the invisible condition going on there. Yeah, yeah. And and just to sort of um that that thing about coaching, I think until you've done coaching, because I had the privilege of being coached for a session with Dr. Beck, who's another doctor coach who I think you also have a connection with. Um <laughs> and I went to one of her group programs and she coached me. Being coached is quite uncomfortable because you really do have to look within. It's a, it's confronting, but it's so valuable. And and it's not the same as psychology. Could you could you tell us the difference between that, the difference between a coach and a psychologist, just to yeah. help us really understand what it is it's really good <laughs> cool. yeah, no that's a great point christine i would say that a psychologist from my understanding looks more further back at sort of triggers that might be um influencing how you're feeling in the moment and they'll work more in a historical perspective perspective but a coach um works with somebody who has definitely got a sliver of growth mindset so i work with clients on how do you want to be showing up or what does the next version of yourself look like? And that's that's what I do think is uh, one of the differences in approaches in how we might um, work with a coach or work with a psychologist in a small nutshell. Mm. Mm, yeah, the growth mindset. Yeah, and it's, it is uncomfortable. Would you agree? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. You're in the hot seat, especially yeah. if it's working. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, I think... It's more just that private sort of one-on-one, -on -one, but there's a sense of a hot seat when you will get a value out of that and you'll get value if you're an observer of whoever is in the hot seat too. Mm. 
Mm. And do you have a recommendation? Because obviously you've you've created your group program because of the demand for your one-on-ones. Do you think someone who's like in the depth of bad burnout, do you would you recommend a one-on-one before transitioning? Or do you think that they're both similar? I guess I'm just thinking about the vulnerability involved in that. Yeah. Sure. Um yeah, look, they could join the one-on-one and they'll get the group included with their one-on-one package. But yeah, I think um, each their own, no one size fits all. And I offer a consult call whether you want to do one-on-one or join the group. So that would be kind of a screener there anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you so much for your time. I can't see anyone with their hands up or anything in the chat box otherwise, but thank you all for joining in and for listening and for your contributions as we went along. Um, and I'd love you to join me in a round of emojis for um, Dr. Joe Braid, the burnout recovery doctor. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time, Joe. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, big round of applause. You are so welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you are not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.